welcome to a new episode of Pet Talk Podcast, the official podcast of Alicia Pet Care Center. We are an animal hospital in Mission Viejo, Southern California. My name is Tim Wheaton. I'm the office manager and the, I don't know, you can call me the host of the podcast. I will be sitting with a couple of doctors during this episode, going through some questions and topics that were brought to us by you. Some through email, we get them also brought up to us here in our animal hospital through conversations in the lobby uh, with our clients or even questions that are specifically given to us that people want more information brought up on the podcast. So we're very happy to bring some of those issues to the forefront to help other people who may have thought of that question and haven't asked it or even might be able to uh, get some good information for their pets at home listening to the podcast wherever they may be. So thank you so much for tuning in and let's get to this episode of Pet Talk Podcast. Welcome, we are here for this episode with Dr. Brahm and Dr. Wheaton. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. So today we are going to have kind of a little bit of a broader topic, which probably will take this entire episode, uh, which is coming to us from a few different paths. Uh, We want to discuss the nature of the cat, the household cat. So uh, this is some people asking questions. We got a little bit into it in one of our other episodes regarding um, the house as a litter box. Uh, but we kind of touched on some stuff there that we wanted to really stretch out and talk about the cat and their diet and the cat as a wild animal from its background and what that means for uh, people as cat owners and what they should be doing. I think there's a lot of misconceptions and things that even Dr. Wheaton, you and I talked about uh, when I first got my current two cats that you kind of blew my mind with the whole wet food versus dry food thing and the whole basis behind that. So I think that a lot of people will get some good information out of that section as well. Um, So I will let you two doctors take it away as to cats and understanding them. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So... I'll lead into this with the fact that I am amazed on a consistent basis that cats allow us to keep them in our homes and that they do as well as they do being inside of a house. They are, they are wild animals. They obviously have been domesticated some, but but really they would be completely fine being turned out into the wild. The vast majority of them would survive just fine with their normal instincts that are intact. So a cat is a cat is a cat. It doesn't, just because you have it as a pet, doesn't turn it into something different. So I think that is the basis of how to approach this topic. It still is a cat just the way that a cat was 100 years ago or 500 years ago, really. I don't think there's been a whole lot of change. And a cat requires specific things that are very different from what we are used to on the human side of things is certainly in the Western world. So I'll talk a little bit about diet. We can have Dr. Brom talk a little bit about environmental considerations regarding diet. I think it's really critical when you're t- 
talking about pet food, whether it's a cow or a bird or a dog or a cat, it's really important for us to feed our individuals for what they are built to eat. So cats are really special, actually. They are strict carnivores, which is very a very unique um, segment of the population of animals on this planet. But a strict carnivore means the the animal that we're talking about is eating other animals 100% of the time. And they must eat animals 100% of the time, basically, to thrive. So dogs, for instance, just as a comparison, are preferential carnivores. So they would prefer to eat animals every meal, but they generally don't get to do that because they're not as successful hunters. And that's just a nature of how they have come to be on this planet. So cats need to eat animal. And if we look at what truly they would be eating, they would be eating about 95% field mice and kind of filling it in with bugs and lizards and birds and things like that. But majority of the, the normal diet of a cat would be mice. And mice are things that we can kind of break down into different categories to help you um, f- navigate the aisle in your mom and pop pet store because unfortunately if we're going to do this correctly you're not going to be able to do this at petco or PetSmart. more than likely you certainly will not be able to do it at a grocery store and that is because the profitability on our mostly animal content foods is not as high for the retailer so certain retailers will just basically say like if i can't make 100 percent markup on my food my pet food i'm not going to sell it so that's a, a kind of a grocery store mindset and things are changing. Things are evolving. So it's possible that there may be a couple offerings at, at certain select pet stores or certain select grocery stores. But for the most part, you're going to have to go to a privately owned kind of naturally oriented natural pet food oriented um, pet store for your food. So the things that you want to look for if we're trying to break down that that field mouse is 80% water, high protein, no or low carbohydrate, and zero grain. So that's really what a, a field mouse would be broken down into categorically so that you can go to a pet store and figure it out. So obviously that means that you can't feed a dry food if it's supposed to be 80% water. And because cats are eating this way every single meal in their normal life and they are built to do this, they are water eaters. And if they don't eat their water they're forced to drink their water but they are not instinctively good at doing so so they are driven by dehydration instead of being driven by normal behavior or maintaining hydration status at an optimal level they are driven by dehydration to drink which means they'll drink enough to get them out of a clinically dehydrated state or in other words a state that will have dehydration enough that makes them actually somewhat sick so cats that eat dry food, we can say very reasonably when you take a very healthy young cat that doesn't have any disease processes and it's eating all dry food and the owner may say that this cat you know, drinks a ton of water and produces normal amounts of urine and we grab a urine sample from that cat and we look at it under the microscope and we measure the concentration of that urine, it's going to be extremely concentrated. So usually at a point where... If it was a human, we'd have to not drink water for probably a day to a day and a half to actually reach the same level of concentration in our urine. So that is not a healthy state. 
they need to be able to eat their water to maintain their hydration status. And in my house, what I observe with my own cat is that um, for the first three years of life and in, in my cat named Grover, he really hardly drank at all. He's drinking a little bit more um, in his fourth year than he did before. But for the first couple of years, I would rarely see him drink anything. And there's always water down in my house because I have two dogs as well. So um, that's a really important thing that sets them up for proper health with their kidneys and their urinary bladder. Um, it actually almost alleviates all risk of bladder issues entirely if you feed 100% canned 100% of the time. Um, the other part of the story on nutrition is we want to avoid grain uh, because if a carnivore is eating grain, it's eating the opposite nutrition of what it's supposed to be eating. So a cow eating a chicken burger again, it's not going to go well. They may survive for some time. They're not going to thrive. And what a cat's intestine will do when it sees grain is it's going to mount an inflammatory response to that grain protein that will predispose them to developing a chronic inflammatory condition in their gut. And that's the reason why about 30% of the cats in the Western world that is eating commercial pet food um, are chronically intermittently vomiting. So that's a really huge consequence. So basically, if you feed a canned grain-free food, you will deliver enough water to your cat to maintain optimal hydration, and you will avoid grain and carbohydrates that come with grain and you will set your cat up for success for it to thrive and to be fed as it was built to eat. Um, and it's just going to do a lot better and avoid the two most common categories of problems in cats, which are digestive issues and urinary tract problems. On the behavior side, let's throw it over to Dr. Brahm and she'll talk about uh, the special needs of our wild animals that are in our homes that don't really get an opportunity probably in most um, cities to go outside safely. So we have to kind of set them up for success in a different way in our house. All right. So as Dr. Wheaton so nicely explained, cats really could survive in the wild if they if they were forced to do so. So they do have a lot of their natural instincts still. So we have to make sure that in our homes, we are fulfilling those instincts. So the kind of the obvious ones that come to mind are, of course, um, cats love to hunt. So in the wild, they would be hunting all those little field mice. So we need to make sure that we're fulfilling that opportunity for them. So the way we can do that is kind of the simple things, um, such as giving them lots of toys. And I like to actually switch up the toys that I do present to my own cats to keep things interesting for them um, so that they're always stimulated with new things and new toys um, and they don't get bored of the toys that they've seen for the last five years. Um, so I actually like to rotate out my toys. Um, and you can do that you know, every, every week or so, kind of present them with something different. Um, and then, of course, actively playing with them, too, um, is going to be helpful, not just throwing it at them and having them play with themselves. They, they like that interaction um, and that, um, you know, that interaction with you, especially if you don't have any other cats in your household. Um, it also creates a great bonding moment for you and your cat. Um, so I do encourage that. Um, and every cat is different. One of my cats likes to just play with little mice, um, little stuffed mice, and the other one loves, um, you know, things that are kind of dangling that I can dangle in front of him, and then he goes and jumps after them. So just ex expose them to many different things to kind of figure out what your cat likes, because every cat will be slightly different, and then fulfill that for them. And I like getting playtime in at least once a day. Obviously, our schedules can be busy. Um, twice a day would be even better or more. Um, just so that they can fulfill that need to hunt um, and obviously catch their prey as well. 
Um, other big things are going to be um, climbing. So cats like to climb in the wild. They're going to be on trees. Um, they like to be up high, kind of get a view of their surroundings. So make sure that you have cat trees available um, in your home. And I like to have more than one um, in different places of the house so that they have an opportunity um, to kind of explore different parts of your home and also get different views at the window if possible so they can kind of keep an eye on what's going on outside and just keep them interested. Um, and cat trees, um, I think taller is, is definitely better um, because that just gives them more room to, um, you know, choose which little perch they want to be on, um, choose where they want to be. And especially if there's another cat, sometimes they like to compete for spaces. So the more space is definitely the better. And when we think about cats and, and places where they kind of want to be and where they're happy, we have to think about vertical places, but also horse, horizontal spaces. Um, so do they like to hide in, in a shelving unit or something, you know, along that line? So just offer them different, different opportunities to hide and play and um, kind of have alone time when they wish to have that. We all know cats are pretty independent animals um, and sometimes they do just want to have their own space. Um, so allow for that to happen, especially if you have kids in your household or you have a busy household. You want to make sure you're giving them the opportunity to hide when they feel like they want to hide, um, tuck away for a little nap when they feel like doing so, um, so that we're not stressing them, stressing them out with a busy um, household and lots of activity. Um, one of the other important things to offer a cat is obviously the opportunity to scratch and to scratch in places where they're not destroying your couch um, or your armchair um, or anything of value to you. So make sure you're having lots of um, different uh, um, scratching posts available to them. And again, it comes down to sometimes the material as well. Some cats enjoy kind of the ropey um, scratching posts. They make a variety of them these days. You can find, you know, so many different options out there, including the ones that are kind of made out of cardboard, which can get a little bit messy. But some cats do like to physically shred things. Um, so again, the cardboard gives them that opportunity to physically shred something so they feel a little bit more fulfilled in that way. Um, and again, have more than one available in your house, obviously, um, and in different locations. And scratching posts are great in locations that are actually um, where the family is uh, kind of centrally located. So sometimes we like to hide those scratching posts because they may not look very nice. Um, but cats are scratching the couch because that's in a central location where the family spends most of their time and they kind of want to mark that territory. So make sure your scratching posts are in places where the family is gathered, um, you know, like the living room or maybe the bedroom, um, kitchen areas, so that the cat can also feel very involved um, in the day-to-day -day, um, activities of the family um, and kind of let out their, their natural activities there. Um, so that's very important. If you do have a problem with scratching, um, we can always discuss a lot of different options for that, including sometimes the anti-scratch sprays, which in my opinion don't work too much, uh, too well for my own cats. Um, sometimes they also um, can potentially scratch a little less if you put those, um, the double-sided tape on your couch and see if that deters them. Sometimes even aluminum foil short time over your couch, um, kind of the, the ends of the couch there. Um, just to kind of teach them this is not the ideal place, you know, go find your scratching post. Um, so those are all very important, um, just environmental enrichment um, things that we can provide for our cats. And then, of course, we also have to make sure that we're fulfilling their basic needs, such as using the litter box and having a clean space available for them to use that, to use it. 
Um, so what we uh, we always recommend as a general rule is for every cat we need one litter box plus one. So like me, I have two cats, I have three litter boxes. Um, and I put them in places that are quiet, away from lots of noise, so maybe not directly next to your laundry or directly next to the kitchen where you're going to be making lots of noise um, and make sure that they are cleaned at least once a day um, and have lots of fresh litter in them. And another basic need apart from food that Dr. Wheaton already discussed is of course the water. Um, cats love fresh water, so just make sure you're refilling your bowls um, at least once a day. Other cats have a preference for running water, so offer them either, um, my cats like to line up at the kitchen sink, or you can also um, offer them one of those little fountains that you can get pretty much anywhere these days that has running water so that they can um, always have that opportunity to have nice fresh water whenever they want it. Wow, Maria Brom <laughs> making it happen with setting our cats up for success. She's nailing it on all of these things that I think really these are not these are not things that most people think about. I think the general concept still stands on cat ownership right now. And I think when we as veterinarians, we have a lot of this knowledge and we have a lot of experiences behind us of things that result from improper care of our cats they're much more difficult than dogs to be honest with you dogs are really kind of easygoing for the most part and there's some things that we can mess up on them that we'll discuss on a different podcast but I think it's really really important and I think that we blow people away when they have a brand new kitten that they roll in with for their first you know, checkup and vaccines and whatnot. And these, these owners, the vast majority of them are going off of their previous experience, maybe as kids where we had cats, we had a litter box, we had dry food down all the time and we had a bowl of water and everything was hunky dory. A okay. That's the way you set your cat up. Right. But that's the way you set your cat up for failure. And we deal with a lot of those problems all the time. Right. Yeah, all the time. So most of the problems probably that I encounter on a day-to-day basis that clients are telling me about can be solved by um, just, you know, simply focusing on (coughs) environmental enrichment um, and making sure we're fulfilling all of the basic needs um, that the cat has. I mean, that's that's kind of the cool thing about cats is that if you're getting a domestic short hair cat, which means a regular house cat and you're not getting an ultra purebred cat, which we'll talk about in another episode... But you're, you're not dealing with a lot of genetic baggage like we do in dogs. And so in general, the cats are relatively robust and hardy if you set them up correctly. But we run into a ton of problems that are due to improper feeding and improper environmental enrichment. So it ends up being that we have a bored cat that eats way too much of the wrong food and not enough water in their life. And then they don't have all that positive environmental enrichment that they need. So they're really prone to having stress bring them down. And stress in cats actually brings a whole host of issues. Um, it can bring out herpes virus, which is a, kind of a rite of passage for most cats. It's the typical cat cold. So we have a lot of cats that end up stressed out because of environmental changes that are maybe not that big of a deal, honestly, but they're not set up for success to begin with. So they're kind of borderline stressed all the time and then they're really easy to push over the edge and some of those some of those issues can land uh cats into the hospital 
due to really severe upper respiratory tract infections um, with a stressed out cat getting a herpes virus flare up or a cat that is responding with stress with their stress organ, dumping a bunch of stress into their urinary bladder, uh, which is already set up for failure because they're dehydrated because they're eating a dry food and so on and so forth. So it's just a ton of things that you can avoid. Whereas if you get a dog, you're just really hoping for good luck because so many of our dog issues are genetically based that you really don't entirely know what you're getting when you're getting a dog with a cat. I think the vast majority of cats, unless you're really unlucky, are going to be healthy cats if you set them up with the right food and the right environment and we can support them in the right way and they're going to live a much healthier, happier life um, with a lot less work, honestly, than uh, with our dog population. So that, that I think, is our advice. Um, you know, it, it's, it's sound medical advice and it honestly is something that we see play out all the time in both the positive way because people actually did it the right way and tons of negative, unfortunately, because owners didn't hear this or they didn't listen to what, you know, one was saying as far as um, setting them up for success. So one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I got some clarification out of you on, because um, I think it was kind of very loosely said and quickly gone over and may not have been picked out by a lot of people. But when you were talking about diet, um, you were talking about uh, the grain-free diet and talking about dry food and talking about canned food. So I wanted to give you the opportunity, if you want to take it, to talk about some of those brands versus brands in regarding to uh, not only grain-free diet, but as well as canned diet, because you basically just said canned food, and I wanted to make sure that people didn't think, oh, cool, I'm giving canned food, so that means I'm doing the right thing, because there is a lot of canned food that is not necessarily the greatest thing. And I, I think that was a one of the big things that blew me away, as I was referring to earlier, was when we got our cats and we were doing, I can't remember what food, but we were doing a dry food that wasn't, was maybe half and half grain. Um, and you, Dr. Wheaton, told us that we were kooky by doing that and told us what to do correctly. And we put them on, I believe, at Zeewee Peak um, canned uh, grain-free diet. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was maybe three or four days in and I came to you freaking out a little bit um, on the basis of myself and my wife looking at the water bowl and seeing that the level was not going down and we were like, what's happening? Our cats aren't drinking and they haven't had any water this week at all. And Mm -hmm. what is going on? And that's when you gave me that whole spiel about um, the water from food. So um, do you want to go into that or is that a negative territory? Are we going to lose some of our sponsors (laughs) by dissing IAMs and some of those other foods? Well, I think since we will be a, um, a, a podcast that is competing with listeners um, with other podcasts like Serial, we're coming for you. Um, we don't really want to alienate anybody because we really want to encourage our pet food manufacturers to embrace the fact that we are feeding cats. And cats should not eat like 
rodents because truly like who's going to eat grain on this planet it's it's primarily rodents and birds so we we do not want to feed them the wrong way it's up to us as a pet food industry to make the right choices and i think that a lot of companies are coming around they're adding to their lines they're adding some grain-free options we want to ideally add those grain-free options with high quality ingredients that are not grain. So, you know, I, I just would encourage the pet food industry as a whole to embrace this a little bit. And I think that it will pan out nicely for them financially because they'll add more uh, consumers that are using their products. I think that there are plenty of options now on grain-free canned food. So that's the probably takeaway thing is that if you go into a pet store, you should be asking where is your grain-free canned cat food. That is the aisle you want to be on. I don't think that it's very easy to say this brand is not that great or this brand is amazing because everybody has their challenges. But I think, um, you know, try to try to ask questions, really try to look with a critical eye at the ingredient list. You really shouldn't have to look at an ingredient list and think, what is that? I've never heard of that before. I mean, when you get to the vitamin mineral mix, which is going to be in every pet food, yes, you're going to see a lot of those kind of things, but you shouldn't see a lot of ingredients that you don't know what they are. So ideally, that is something that helps you in the aisle make your decision. And and cats are really finicky. So finding something that they all will agree on if you have a multi-cat household or finding that food that your cat really loves sometimes is a little bit of a challenge. I think when you do make that decision and you start feeding your cat canned food, especially if it's coming off of a long period of time eating dry, you may find that you have a lot of resistance. Cats are very texture oriented and they will sort of identify with their early exposure to food. So there are plenty of cats out there that we would consider to be categorized as a dry food addict. And there is a website that I'll promote called catinfo.org that has a great article on it that is quite lengthy because sometimes it's really challenging. That's all geared towards moving your dry food addict to canned. And it is a process for some cats. Some cats don't automatically see it as the right choice And so sometimes you have to convince them. I think sometimes with cats, you need to understand that they need to kind of come up with a little bit of a, we're going to nurture you and allow you to slowly get your head around this rather than we're going to force it upon you. So I think looking at the cat as an individual and understanding that they truly may have preferences and you may have to kind of jump through a few hoops to get them to the point where they actually really like the food that you're offering them and they see it as food and they actually enjoy it. So that, that's sometimes a process. But some of the things that you will notice, as Timothy did, is you will notice that your cat that's now eating its water is going to drink less water. It's a huge change. It happens immediately. And so you will see less water intake. You should see pretty much the same amount of urine which you're going to see as the volume or the size of your urine balls in the cat box you may see it slightly increase because they may be more well hydrated but it certainly should not drop additionally you will probably see a change in the type of stool really it's probably going to be the amount of moisture in the stool there's a great study that was done a couple years ago that looked at the 
um, water content of stool and or feces. And so a cat that's fed a dry food is going to have a much more moist stool, much more water in it than a cat that's fed a wet food. Now, that does not make any sense, right? So the whole reason why that happens is if you're feeding a cat a dry food, that dry food is bringing a bunch of water to it. It's going to basically act as a sponge. And so it will draw a bunch of water out of your cat internally that will kind of puff up those kibbles. Those kibbles are going to be 3% water on average. So the body is going to want to turn that into a moist thing. It's like a little sponge. So it's going to suck up a bunch of water and it's going to do that while it's in the gastrointestinal tract. And the problem is that it does that kind of midway down the pipe. The cats have actually a very, very fast transit time in their gut. And so what happens is there's not enough time for the the lower part of the intestine to actually absorb the moisture out of that fecal material. And so you end up passing a, a much more moist stool. So feeding dry, again, complicates the problem because not only are you dehydrating them because they're not eating their water, but now they're also producing a much more moist, water-heavy stool that is further adding to their dehydration. So the cats that eat their food that is watery or moist, it doesn't have to draw a bunch of water to it in the gut, and the the gut is going to be able to take its time and do its job properly to absorb the water out of that food so that you have a you know, more normal water balance. So that's an important thing to take note of as well. You should definitely see an improvement in the stool, I would say overall, but it may be a bit more dense and less watery. Okay. So maybe to wrap up the cat discussion, um, I took in a lot of what you guys have said and, and I have two cats at home, the same as you, Dr. Brahm. Yes. Um, mine are sibling cats, a brother and sister that we brought home at the same time. Uh, the male is enormous. He's, he's a big cat. Dr. Wheaton, uh, you can attest, is he, is he an overweight cat? I mean, he's just huge. Are you looking for me to endorse <laughs> his current weight right now? No, I'm looking you, at you too. No, he, he really is a very extra large cat. He's a little overweight, but okay, he is just a, a huge cat. So his sister um, is the complete opposite. Very skinny, one of those little cats that um, it doesn't hurt your hand to pet her yet. But, she, you know, she's very skinny. So they have a very interesting rapport with each other at home. And I'm interested to know, especially when Dr. Dewey talked about it previously, and you talked about it, the... Uh, litter box plus one my mind always goes to those cat hoarding shows or the hoarding shows where you see a woman who has sorry that was very sexist a person some of these could be men who have 47 cats and I'm thinking do they really have 48 litter boxes in there (laughs) I really don't think so but anyways uh, I think they have one big litter box which which is is their their house. house yes true um so if you can talk a little bit about the problems or the way that people go into having multiple cats in their household, the idea of a cat 
needing a companion, etc. That would be great. Of course. So, um, not every cat needs a companion. So, as we talked about earlier, cats um, are obviously very unique animals. Everyone's going to have a different personality. And some cats just like being on their own and having their person um, as kind of their little group um, and not anyone else. So, um, it really depends on the cat. Um, you mentioned that you uh, your two cats are siblings and that they you know kind of came to your house together. Uh, my own two cats, a um, little bit similar. They were actually in kind of a rescue situation together um, for a long time before I got them. So they actually lived together in a small little room in a hospital for two years prior to me adopting them and bringing them home. So they were a bonded pair, I would say. You know, they groom each other. Um, they're they're very nice to each other. They sleep together, that kind of thing. But some cats, um, they're, you're just not going to get that lucky, and they may not like each other. Um, so if you have one cat right now um, and you're thinking of getting another one, um, I would really think very hard about that decision and take your time making that decision because, unfortunately, sometimes we bring home a new kitten and we're excited to, you know, have our cats play together and then we quickly find out that they do not like each other at all and they start leading these kind of parallel lives where one will be maybe out in the living room during the daytime and then they kind of switch off and the other one will be there in the nighttime and they just you know they're they're just not getting along and they have a hard time kind of coexisting um, or they start to pretend that the other one doesn't exist maybe or um, worst case scenario they show open aggression towards each other um, so what I would recommend is, um, you know, again, think hard about if, if you do have one cat, um, think hard about whether or not you really want that second cat. If, if your cat really needs a companion, you know, I don't think that's the case most of the time. Um, but if you are going to introduce another cat, make that introduction very gradually. Uh, my mom actually just got a new kitten and she has um, an older cat who um, was kind of semi-feral when we first got him. So he's very particular. So the introduction period there was extremely gradual. Um, she actually had the kitten up in the in the guest bedroom for about a week or so and had the other older cat just sniff through the door. Um, they kind of played a little bit through the door just using their feet to kind of get to know each other and see what's what's over there. And it was a very gradual introduction. And then the first face-to-face um, -face interaction was, of course, supervised very closely to make sure that things are not going to get out of control quickly. Um, my mom has probably had this new kitten now for about five months. And the two cats actually have come to the point where they can cuddle together and, and be together and enjoy each other's company. But it does take time. Um, you know, there's definitely research that you should make do before making that decision. Um, and just always ask us, your veterinarians, um, if you think that your cat would benefit from a, another cat friend or not. Um, we can obviously help you out with that, just depending on your cat's character and, and current behavior. But if you do have a two-cat or three-cat or more multi-cat household, um, as we talked about before, make sure you have adequate litter boxes. Make sure you have adequate cat trees so everyone has their own little place um, and offer lots of different beds and places where they can sleep and hide and play um, so that there's not a competition for space. Okay, that all is extremely helpful information. I'm sure a lot of our cat owners are going to go crazy over this episode and in a very good way. And uh, I think a lot of people who are potentially future cat owners, you can come back 
um, to this episode potentially multiple times and get a little nugget out of it for how to care for your cat, how to prepare your home for your cat and have it be the best possible uh, place since they are not going to just be out in the wild where they would potentially love to be. So uh, I would love to thank Dr. Wheaton and Dr. Brom for coming in and recording today. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. And remember, you can find us on iTunes, Pet Talk Podcast, um, the official podcast of Alicia Pet Care Center. And we would love for you to subscribe there and leave us a little review. Both of those things really help us stand out and get more listeners and get uh, potentially a lot more topics for us to discuss that we all can benefit from, as well as you can send in your questions or topics to us. Uh, We have our Facebook page, Alicia Pet Care Center. We are APCC Vet on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Uh, We also have a Periscope where you can see some of these things and some of the goings-ons in the hospital. And you can send emails with any of these things to us at wecare@mypetsdoctor.com. That's wecare@mypetsdr.com. So thanks again, and we look forward to the next episode.